I think there's one really important line from the complaint that says a lot about what's happening here. And it's that Mann said he used almost all of the $70 million to sustain certain businesses and purchase and start new ones. Which means that, you know, he was using this money on actual businesses. It just wasn't the businesses that he was saying it was for, essentially. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Blake, it's been another week. Another week. More accounting news. More accounting news, more coverage of my payroll HR. You, you secured us an interview with two of the reporters on this case, right? Yes. Yeah, so we have a special interview we'll drop in towards the end of this episode. So stay tuned to the end. Um, yep. You can hear that. because it, it really ties into some of the articles I brought. And um, what, did, what else did I bring? So we had some stuff tied into criminals and CPAs. I filed my taxes on TurboTax, TurboTax Live. I'll tell you all about that. We have to talk about the Fire Festival for Accountants up in Canada. I think I saw that go by on social. That was crazy. Uh, some disaster with CPA Canada, um, the exam they do there. We have app news as always. We have uh, some banking tech news. You've got a big announcement with uh, auto entry. I'll let you share that. Excel has a new feature that's uh, super nerdy, super cool. It's a new function, actually. We've got some QuickBooks Online updates. I want to talk later about the number one job in America. Podcaster. <laughs> it's not podcaster. It's YouTube not podcaster. star. Almost. 40 under 40 came out. Oh, yeah. So some people got 40 under 40. But but first, we got to talk about the review we got. Yes. This is from Tom Naylor, five stars. I really enjoy your cloud accounting podcast. I am a CPA and CMA working in industry my entire career, and I'm looking for ways to apply my background in accounting operations, process improvement, and process automation, including RPA, to help others. Your podcast is a great way to catch up on current issues and challenges. Thanks, David and Blake. Thank you, Tom. We really appreciate that review and the feedback. And like always, go to iTunes or Apple podcast and leave reviews, go to Podchaser and leave reviews. They really help spread the word and uh, help us get new listeners. And we will read it on the air. And and the new listeners are important because if you, the 40 under 40 list was released this week, I don't know if you saw that at all, Blake. Um, yeah. Some, some friends of the show on the list who, who made of the it. show on the list. Um, and by the way, this is CPA practice advisor. They annually create a list of the top 40 accountants under 40. And then there's a separate list of 20 folks who are related to the accounting industry, often on the vendor side, who are also uh, under 40. Yeah. So some of the people who either been on the show or we've talked about on the show before, uh, Caleb Jenkins is on the list. Hedrick Garcia is on the list. Will Buckley from Zero, Ben Richmond from Zero, who we interviewed that time. Kathy Iconis is on there. Aaron Burson, great to see you on the list. Elizabeth Pittelko-Kittner. Joshua Lance is on there. Ingrid Estrem, Garrett Wagner, Lindsay Stevenson, Patrick Lee. Uh, who else am I leaving out? So does, many names. Does Eric uh, Green have the most um, additional letters behind his name? I, I that, that Well, let's five. see. How many designations? Five designations. That's a lot. He wins. But it's cool because what I like about this, it's easy to click on people and there's just a small summary. Right, yeah. and you, especially for people you don't know, it's nice to click down and drill down and see who they are. Um, one takeaway for me, and then I want to thank everybody that's on the list that said well, the way they stay on top of accounting news, they mentioned the Cloud Accounting Podcast in their, oh, their awesome. profile, and it was like got the little chills from that. So thank you everybody who threw out a plug and uh, put us in their uh, 
Maybe maybe this is like a chicken and egg thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're on the list because they listen to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I, 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 it's possible. <laughs> I have a teeny story just to throw it out there to get it out of the way before we really jump into the big, big news. Okay, what's that? So, AICPA held a free webinar on diversity and inclusion. Okay. And I was like, very interesting. I clicked on it. I was going to RSVP to it. But guess what time it started at? 7 a.m. Pacific. <laughs> Yeah, that's not very inclusive of the folks on the West Coast. Come on. Or, or maybe or, or the night owls. Night owls, exactly. So yeah. I, I did not attend the webinar. I just was I just thought that was a little entertaining that it's a inclusion yes. webinar and it was done at seven AM. Well, David, let's get to the news. And right. I want to talk to you about the big news that happened today. It's Friday, and I woke up to news that Auto Entry, who you are affiliated with, who you work with. Right, people yep. know you as you're the you're the you're the resident thought leader at Auto Entry. They just got uh, acquired by Sage. Yes, it's huge news, right? Because yeah. Sage is one of the big players in the cloud accounting space. We talk about all the time. There's Intuit, there's Sage, there's Zero, and so now Sage has acquired Auto Entry. So as of now, I work for Sage. Right, I'm Auto Entry is a part of Sage. We're part of the Sage family, the Sage team, which is uh, interesting. And, and there weren't a lot of details in the post, right? Like you probably can't say if it's not public yet, but like how much money this was for, like what how, what's the n- nature of the deal, like what's going to happen, all the auto entry people. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, as you can imagine, like things have gone very fast. I don't know much more than what's on those out on the uh, the official Sage press release that went out. Yeah, um, because this was done. It's in Ireland, in England, right? This yeah. is like at one a.m. my time. Right. So, so my phone's been kind of like buzzing, you know, all night and I woke up, saw it, went to the gym. There's a lot happening really fast and I don't have like all the details, but I can definitely see like the, the big takeaway is that how um, Sage is committed to auto entry being part of an open ecosystem. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I feel like that was always a big kick I had when I was at Intuit about being committed to an ecosystem that's open. And if you think about like 15 years ago, an acquisition like this would just be, that would be it. Auto entry from that point forward to only work with Sage. Right? right, but I think all of these players in this industry now have a more mature view to where oh, it's okay because maybe you're an accountant or an accounting firm and you have lots of clients on Sage, and maybe you have some clients on QuickBooks and some on Zero and some on um, other products. And well, right, you can still use Auto Entry across all your clients. Like you're not going to have to oh, if you switch to these clients, now you have to use different software, right? And that's it's it's just a more mature thinking by all the companies yeah. involved nowadays. Yeah, I saw some of that speculation on Facebook, like, oh, now that auto entry is part of Sage, am I going to be able to use it with QuickBooks? And I think the answer is definitely is going to be definitely yes, right? Yes, it's, not it's, it's, those, it's very yeah. clear. Yeah, and and uh, it's the same in a way like how, you know, T-Sheets, when QuickBooks bought T-Sheets, T-Sheets still works with Zero and other products, yep. right? Yep. And um, the same thing when Zero bought HubDoc, right? HubDoc mm-hmm. still works with QuickBooks, right? And so it's so it's so. Yeah, that open ecosystem mindset is really, really um, still there. That's that's your news of the day. My news of the day is that I finally filed my taxes. I used TurboTax Live this year. And, Did you talk uh, to Claudel? No, not Claudel. It was Clifton. Oh, okay. I talked to Clifton today. And I, I had procrastinated on actually filing because I didn't owe anything. I'm pretty good about prepaying. So, you know, I, I didn't. I'm not due until October 15th because I did an extension. So I scheduled my call with a CPA named Clifton and, um, you know, I didn't have any errors in my file. And so basically we had a a 10 minute discussion in which he said, yeah, you did a great job. 
and then I filed my uh, return. So, so, so you was it a video conference? Yes. So, so what's he, that experience he, for you, like on, on, on as the consumer, the customer? Yeah. So the way it works is I go inside of TurboTax where I'm working on my return, and I say that I want a review, and it gives me some options for times. I select a time and day that works for me. It happened they were available today, and I put in your phone number, and then at that time you get a call from the TurboTax Live hotline or whatever it is, uh, and it connects you to somebody via phone. And then from inside of the TurboTax application in your web browser, you can press a shortcut that then displays a six-digit code. You provide that code to whoever you're speaking with on the phone, and then they can see your screen. And you can see them through their webcam, like a, a small version of them, right? Like uh, icon really view. So, so, so it's like joining a, a Zoom or a webinar, but right. it's right inside. You're not getting extra software. You're not no. getting separate downloads. You're just doing it inside TurboTax yeah. itself. And it's smart wow. because they're using the phone for the audio. So even if you lose the computer connection or there's a problem with the browser, you can still talk and they don't see you. You see them. Uh, and then they can direct you as to what to do on the screen. They can't actually control the screen though. Okay, so, so so it uses the phone, which eliminates a lot of possible yeah. complications if somebody doesn't have their microphone configured right or their computer. Very yeah, slick. That's a really smart yeah. idea. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, he went through some of the typical concerns with me. You know, I was comfortable that it looked right. They have an option where you can actually, you can upload the return to them and send in all of your documents and they will actually verify that you put in the numbers correctly but it takes like three to five days and I didn't really want to go gather all the documents again and send them. So I didn't bother doing that. So I, I could have had a CPA sign off on my return and file it for me if I'd wanted to as part of the extra fee I paid, but I declined not to. So I'm not sure if I'm going to do it again next year. I think I might just uh, go, go it alone because honestly, unless the return kicks up an error or you have like a really complicated situation, definitely as account, an accountant, I, I was pretty comfortable that I had done it right. But, you know, this time I just wanted to see, I wanted to see how it worked. Um, so I had a very good experience, but you know who didn't have a good experience recently? It was a bunch of CPAs or wannabe CPAs in Canada who were taking the exam to become CPAs, which I understand is called the CFE exam. Uh, that stands for Common Final Examination. And uh, I don't know if you saw this article in Going Concern. The headline is, let's talk about how CPA Canada totally effed up last week's CFE. I mean, I'm, I don't want to mean to laugh at this because it sounds like actually like a terrible experience for these uh, students and uh, professionals. I didn't realize this, but in Canada, they still do their CPA exam in three days and it's annually, which is way more intense than what we have here in the US where it's you know four parts and you can take them at different times. So basically, it's like it, it happens in these three days. If something goes wrong... Uh, we don't, you can't next month, just come back and take your test. Like this is the, yeah. this it's, a, is the, it's an event. Yeah. It's like, the, it's more like the bar exam here, right? Which so is what went know, wrong. Long story short, this, the CPA Canada started using new software this year called surpass and apparently surpass or surpass didn't surpass expectations because <laughs> uh, they rolled it out and it failed miserably. They had massive IT issues to the point where, just to give you one example, in Edmonton, the exam was supposed to start on day one at 9 a.m. and they couldn't get it to work until 1 p.m. And the exam test takers had to sit in the examination center for four hours with nothing to do 
with very little food or water because you can't leave and there are snack bars, but I guess- That is the fire festival. (laughs) There's no food, there's no water. They just had to sit there. It's the same thing. So, So it was described on social media and Reddit as the fire festival for accountants, which is a nod to the spectacular concert debacle in the Bahamas where tents were provided instead of luxury accommodations. That's a Netflix and, special, right? If people yeah, watch it on out. Netflix. Yeah. If you want to see, if you want to feel better about your business, <laughs> if you feel like a failure ever, just go watch the Fire Festival documentary on Netflix because it'll make you feel a lot better, you know, about that. So this, so every now, now when anything gets screwed up like this, then it's compared to the Fire Festival. And yeah, it, apparently it was just a terrible uh, rollout. And you can see how that could be a problem, right? When the exam's only given once a year, uh, there's not really an opportunity to test if the ex- examination software works very well. And there's a lot of room for risk. And we have solved that, I think, in the US because we use Prometric for our CPA exam, which is a professional testing center that that tests a, a lot of exams, right? I mean, hundreds of licenses and certifications, you can go to a Prometric testing center. It's basically outsourced testing. And so they maintain the testing centers, the software. And if anything goes wrong, it only affects the people at that center at that day, right? Not everybody taking the exam. So there's all these questions as like to whether or not the students or the the test takers are going to get another chance, if their scores are going to be invalidated. I mean, some people had to take the exam writing it on paper. They couldn't actually right into their laptops and all, all, the, all this just crazy, crazy stuff, um, miserable experiences. So the certifications don't matter, right? And we've been talking a lot about the My Payroll HR. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and what I said, we'll put the, the, plug, here's a plug again, state of the end for the interview. But um, so special agent Matthew J. Wabby, W-A-B-B-Y, of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, he actually wrote the affidavit for arrest. Mm-hmm. Of Michael Mann, who was involved in the bank fraud, the My Payroll bank fraud. Mm-hmm. Now, what's nice about this, and it's I, find, I think it's exciting, prior to becoming a special agent, I worked in public accounting for approximately seven years where I became a certified public accountant. I am still a licensed CPA and also a certified fraud examiner. This doesn't actually surprise me, David. A lot of the people who work in the FBI and financial crimes are CPAs. It's pretty awesome. You get to be a CPA and carry a gun. There's not a lot of jobs where you get to do that. Yeah. And I, I hit him up on LinkedIn. I was like, yeah, I should have him come on the podcast. That would be exciting. Yeah. I don't think but that's going to happen. <laughs> no, no bite whatsoever right now. Yeah. And so there's two other uh, things that came out kind of related to this. So the Journal of Accountancy uh, has an article. Uh, it's a little older one, but Jeff Drew sent it to me um, about criminal pursuing agents. So if you want to see about some of this undercover work, or maybe you want a career change, check out. The, it's an old article. It's from October 1st of 2015, but it's all about CPAs that are uh, pursuing criminals. Um, and then related to that, the AICPA has just announced that there's going to be new um, forensic standards to uh, boost CPAs' credibility when they're actually on witness stands testifying in court. So there's uh, a lot of... Uh, it all ties back to my payroll HR, which apparently ties to everything these days. Well, should we talk about some more fundraising app news? Oh, yeah. Topalti. Topalti is a global payables automation solution, and they have successfully raised another $76 million in capital led by Zeev Ventures. It's a D round of funding. The press release says that Topalti is going to use this additional funding to continue to set the pace for innovation in the payables automation space and solidify itself as the leading solution for fast-growing and mid-sized companies across the globe. Did you see that um, Funbox had a big raise? So, so Funbox 
they they raised three hundred and twenty six million wow. between debt and equity. Um, they actually took on one hundred and seventy six million in equity, and then an additional one hundred and fifty million in um, credit. But they didn't disclose who's providing the credit. So Funbox is before they were uh, in that like instant loan game. Mm-hmm. So if you have invoices, your customer owes you owes you a thousand dollars. You need that cash now. For a small fee, they'll provide the cash, and then when you get paid for that invoice, right? And so, mm-hmm. really, their goal is to eliminate that because there's about three billion dollars just locked up into net thirty, if right. you're putting right. your quotes up. And so, they're really attacking that, and it and it's all about um, it's on both sides of the fence. They're trying to play middleman through a network, right? Gotcha. The the big huge company that needs to automate paying their vendors faster, and then they want to attack it on the other side for the small business owners that need to be paid. And this is like a real problem that has to be solved. And remember, I was at Intuit. Um, Intuit changed their policy to pay all smaller vendors within like nine days because it, they used to, you know, like big corporations, you know, hey, stretch it out. Whenever, 90 days, stretch out. We need to maximize this. And it really hurts small businesses. And so Intuit like really, really changed the way they're doing that well, for their if, their, if their mission, a state of mission is to grow and help small businesses succeed, then it kind of sucks if that, if you're not paying your small business vendors on time. So that's a great policy. And then uh, it looks like Funbox is now going to open up a, an office in Dallas. All right. You mentioned Intuit. I've got some QuickBooks Online updates for you. Okay. QuickBooks is now going to have mileage tracking, which was previously only available for QuickBooks self-employed. It's getting rolled out incrementally. So you might not see it right away, but all users should have it in the next several months. I'm opening and, up mine right now because I've been waiting for this because uh, yeah. I only do I only need it once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. So I don't really need a standalone mileage app. I was dreaming of it being in my QuickBooks. Sorry, I just unlocked with my fingerprint. Never miss a mile. I got it. Awesome. So I'll have to report on how this goes next time I drive somewhere. It looks pretty cool because you can have it use your GPS on your phone to record your start and end points. And you don't have to put in the actual miles on your car that way. So let me know how it goes. Also new in QBO, performance of reporting has been improved. There is no more need to click load more. And closing the view slash edit screen will no longer return you to the beginning of a report. Additionally, it's just supposed to be faster overall, which is nice. Reporting is one of those things that has always been, I think, traditionally criticized in the online version compared to the desktop version. So hopefully this will appease some of those folks. Well, especially and, I think for, you know, accounts and bookkeepers, like the, like if data entry is one thing, but if you're really in there trying to run reports and drill down on things and run two or three reports at the same time, yeah, report, any yeah, report yeah. optimizing is going to be efficient for accounts and bookkeepers. Absolutely. And finally, you can now send customer invoices in multiple languages. Six languages are supported, English, French, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, and Chinese. Wait, wow. That seems like it should be a much bigger, bigger announcement. Bigger announcement there. Yeah. Like so, so I can create my invoice as I normally do in English, and then I can just hit a drop down and say send it in Spanish. Uh, you know, I didn't dig into that, so I'm not sure. But I, I'm, I'm curious to know. I'll have to, I'll have to experiment with that. I'll Try send sending somebody. Yeah, send somebody an invoice in Spanish. <laughs> I'm track my mileage and then send you an invoice in Spanish. And All right, do it. Um, and there's some more Intuit news. This is a story that Kelly Phillips Herb reported earlier this month. And the headline is TurboTax glitch led to 216 million tax bill for thrift store worker. Uh, it's actually re- related to, I think, my experience today. It's, it's, this is why it's important to have somebody looking over your return or you know, looking over the work that you did in an online product. Right? You shouldn't just be 
filing without uh, double checking. Uh, so what happened here is that Donna Smith from Aurora, Colorado, who is a part-time worker at a local thrift store, filed her taxes using TurboTax last year. She got a surprise when she opened a tax bill from the Colorado Department of Revenue to find that the state claimed she owed $216,399,508 in taxes. <laughs> and Smith, who makes about $10 an hour, couldn't understand the tax bill. Apparently, what happened is that there was an error with TurboTax where she actually entered the numbers correctly. Uh, a TurboTax spokesperson said that, quote, for a small number of TurboTax online customers that filed their taxes between June 13th and 16th, there was an issue that caused select fields on their tax return to be incorrectly transmitted during e-file. The issue was quickly fixed, and we have been working directly with the affected Colorado taxpayers and the Colorado State DOR to help resolve. Actually, I, I think I have to take back what I said, because apparently, even if it had been reviewed in the software, uh, it wouldn't have been caught because this was something that happened during the e-file process. And it's just kind of this one random person it only affected? Just a small number of people. Oh, so it did hit a couple of people. Yeah, okay, got it. but only people in Colorado, apparently, and only for a few days out of the month. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I mean, these things happen, right? And And obviously, you can fix that. Just a sort of a funny bug. Can you imagine opening the mail and getting that tax bill? <laughs> no big deal. Just Continuing along with app updates, Excel has an update that I think is very relevant to our audience. So so this is what we've, we've come to now. The Cloud Academy podcast is back talking about no, Excel. Every, you look, Excel is not going away, right? We, yep. we, we use Excel. No, no, no. I, I, I <laughs> prefer Excel. I'm totally, yeah, I'm down. I'm down. So David, uh, are you a fan of VLOOKUP? You ever use VLOOKUP formulas in your in your line of work? Yes, yes, I have. All right. Well, VLOOKUP has a successor. There's a new generation of VLOOKUP, and it's called XLOOKUP. Microsoft announced this on their blog, and they started out actually by giving a tribute to VLOOKUP, which is a formula that has been with Excel since the very beginning. It was included in Excel One for Macintosh, released in 1985. And for- it was a tribute or a funeral. Well, it, no, it's it's uh, like a shout out to VLOOKUP. Oh, okay, right? okay so got it, got it. For 34 years, VLOOKUP has been the ver- first lookup function learned by Excel users, and it's their third most used function. Do you know what the the, the first two are? Want to guess? Yeah, let's pause it for a second. You said 34 years. Yeah. So is VLOOKUP older than you? Uh, I'm 36. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was like pre uh, VLOOKUP, post VLOOKUP. Yeah, right, got it. The two most used functions are sum and average, and then it's VLOOKUP after that. And VLOOKUP is one of those functions that, like, it means it's super powerful. Everyone learns it, right? And then there's all those people that say, oh, index max is, match is superior and, you know, whatever. Screw those people. So anyway. <laughs> Big uh, arguments. What, yeah. what team are you on? <laughs> so XLOOKUP, and I don't know if this is going to be superior to index match or whatever. XLOOKUP is named for its ability to look both vertically and horizontally. So it also replaces the HLOOKUP formula, which I never even used. Um, basically, all you need are three arguments to, for XLOOKUP. You need a lookup value, right? The, the cell that you're looking for, or the value you're looking for. Then you need to choose an array, a lookup array, and then a return array, what to return. And the formula is smart enough to figure out, if you give it those three things, how to find what you're looking for and return it. And uh, it's pretty cool. Some of the benefits of this, you might be wondering, like, why are we talking about XLOOKUP? What was wrong with VLOOKUP? Um, the blog post does a really good job of talking about the limitations of VLOOKUP, which is 
one of the big ones is you can't do column insertions or deletions. It'll break your formula because VLOOKUP requires you to put in the number of the column that you want to return. So if you change the format of your spreadsheet, it breaks. Uh, it can't look to the left, only to the right. Can't search from the back. Can't search for the next larger item for an approximate match, which you can now do with XLOOKUP with some with the two optional fields. So just you know, uh, just an improvement. So spreadsheets are getting better every day. Still, which is good. Yeah, still. And you still need them. They're not going away. Not until we get some AI that can just make all our spreadsheets for us, right? I have some, uh, you know, banking news. We talk about you know, the, you know, banks lack APIs on one hand. And then we're always talking about how all these startups now are becoming banks. Okay. So uh, kind of three articles that are um, pulled together. One is a Plaid. So Wells Fargo has entered into a, a data sharing agreement with Plaid. So a lot of these apps that you use to connect your bank accounts or bank feeds, et cetera, use Plaid. Um, and well, but what's happened is the way they, these, these aggregators have worked, they've always done like screen sharing or not screen, sorry, screen scraping to like pull down the data from the websites because banks don't have APIs, the right, banks right. don't have data sharing agreements. So Wells Fargo has entered into a data sharing agreement with Plaid, but part of that agreement um, is giving the consumer a little bit more control over their account information on what what information is available to Plaid and then what information is in theory available to third-party vendor API, third-party app companies that are using Plaid's APIs. Mm -hmm. So, so Plaid is basically becoming like uh, an API of APIs for the bank, or it's, it's like a central place where they can all connect to, and then apps can authenticate with Plaid and get the information they need. Yeah. Because if you're an app developer and you want to connect to 15,000 banks, right. Like you can't. You don't want to do that. You can no. just connect to Plaid, and now you're getting that for, for you're you're getting that that scale of that. Yeah, yeah I can see how Plaid um, could be very 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 valuable then. And big companies, Venmo, Acorns, Betterment, um, are all using uh, um, Plaid to power their products. Um, so so you have that on that side, and then uh, BBVA has rolled out its open banking platform. And it's going to have four main APIs for startups. To so use. Not, is this, this is a bank? I'm not familiar with them. Uh, BBVA Compass. They've dropped the Compass. Um, they're based in Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. And they're actually out of um, South America, I think, originally. So this is cool. So as part of their open banking platform, they're going to have four APIs for startup clients. And those include identity verification, a uh, way to move money, so you can execute custom ACH transactions, bill pay, and real-time transfers, account origination, and card issuance. Well, that's, those are really powerful API calls you can make. I've always said this, like these banks that get it yeah. are going to win small business, right? And so this is going to be a good thing for BBVA because they're going to get a bunch of app developers that right now might have to use four different hoops to jump through to accomplish these things. Mm -hmm. And really, that's the more four main use cases. Yeah. For interacting with banks. So it'll be really interesting to see where this goes next with those guys. The big hole for me is has always been the fact that I can't pay a bill from inside of QuickBooks Online or inside of Xero and, and have that payment go out through the bank. I have to use some separate application or go into my bank's bill pay. Like, I, Why can't I connect their ability? Like Bank of America, for instance. I, have, I use Bank of America for my bill pay. Why can I not connect zero to bank of america and when i want to pay a bill in zero i say pay with b of a and it pays it just like online banking at one time a long time ago in quicken you could do that days, you could do this you had to pay a fee and the banks the banks would charge you know into it or the 
you as a small, as the uh, consumer to do to do do that convenience. But I think as time went on, the banks got a little bit more. Um, it's our data. It's our stuff. We want customers to go to our website because we want to sell them other banking right, products, right. right? And and I think it's been a little of that. So now it's this is an interesting move because ultimately you want people using your bank. It's kind of in the way we talked about Stripe last week, right? right? Nobody uses Stripe, but everybody uses Stripe. And it's kind of that same thing. Maybe nobody will, people will not actually use BBVA, but they'll be using BBVA, mm-hmm. right? And and that's kind of, I mean, that's where you want to be as a platform. You want everybody using you. And that's how Facebook won. Facebook didn't care how you used Facebook, just use Facebook. Right. right. We don't care what apps you use and add-ons and all the other stuff. And that's that same type of mindset. So on the other swing, so so banks making some strides, right? Yeah. Into tech a little bit. On the other side, there's a really uh, kind of a longer article from the LA Times. And essentially the article is about how, oh, you don't have a bank charter? No problem. So what's happening is these fintech companies, the squares of the world, et cetera, are partnering with small regional and community banks to help them establish FDIC, handle the deposits, and giving them methods that they couldn't really do on their own. The the big banks are not going to go agree to a company like Square or Apple and these companies that are becoming banks. Right. Right. And so what's happening is the fintech companies are finding these small regional banks that that probably haven't grown in decades. Right. right? And And they see this as a growth opportunity. Interesting. Um, And then in fact, there's actually a a whole nother company called Camber, C-A-M-B-R, and they're actually providing a whole service to play middleman between these. And so like, uh, and I'll just read kind of the, how it works. Um, Cause so it's a little easier to understand. So yeah. quote unquote, here's how it works. A tech company or startup might give Camber as much as a hundred billion in customers cash and could then ask the service to spread the money around to potentially hundreds of different financial institutions. As a result, spreading out those deposits is more in the fintech's cash is insured under the FDIC. Gotcha. Right. Because you can do 250,000 per account. So, so people are specializing in this mm-hmm. um, services instead of taking all that and just seeing one bank account. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's, there's a lot of treasury management uh, tools for bigger businesses that do something like this too. A similar kind of concept. And then of course, as you know, as always, and we, we can even talk, we've talked about this with the, my payroll HR, you know, and we talked about this with the banking stuff and we talked about this with the uh, instant paycheck players, right? regulations want to come. So people are starting to really uh, pry into this and, you know, Mm -hmm. and trying to uh, stop innovation. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by BQE Core. If you have niche clients that are architects, engineers, consultants, or lawyers, BQE Core is the app for them to best manage the firm, increase their staff productivity, and ultimately increase their profits. Even if you don't have those niche clients, Core is a great tool to use in your own accounting or bookkeeping firm as well. Core is an easy-to-use all-in-one platform for project management, but includes advanced functionality like budgets, labor costs, forecasting, contract analysis, and approval processes. Core also includes a standalone accounting module. Even though Core is an all-in-one platform, it still works nicely with other apps, offering you and your clients the maximum amount of flexibility. Core offers a full-function mobile app and recently launched a cutting-edge voice-based assistant for your smart speaker of choice. To learn even more about BQE Core, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash core. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-O-R-E.
Let's talk about the number one job in America. It is not YouTube star. It is not podcaster um, host. Podcaster, unfortunately, not yet. This is a story that was published in Market Watch. And Wait, I want one more guess. Hold on. Okay. I wonder if this is like a satisfaction game. Like, well, so the criteria are important, right? So, so let me tell you how they define okay. best job because that's okay. a that's a good question in, in and of itself. This survey that this article is based on defines the best job as the one with the best career prospects. Uh, extrapolating that, if you have good career prospects and the ability to move up, that assuming that you enjoy the work you're doing, you will enjoy your career. So what job in America has the best career prospects and also has a high income? And it's not software engineer. That's the surprising part. I, I Some part of me thinks like you're going to say CPA. Like <laughs> well, for some reason, it, it, I feel like you're going to say that. But I'm, I'm yeah. thinking like maybe it's something like healthcare related. Like some part of the healthcare fit field is like highly rewarding financially, but also like personally rewarding, right? Yeah. I don't know what that would be. That would be my guess. So the number one job is tax manager. Tax managers have the strongest career opportunities rating, according to employees in this position. They had a median base salary of $112,000 a year and 4,800 job openings on Glassdoor as of July 5th. This is from a study that was released by Glassdoor, the salary job site. I thought it was pretty interesting because it's not software engineer. The article says, quote, with the infiltration of technology into financial services, there's a renewed emphasis for tax managers to build closer client relationships, the report's authors said. So basically, what's happening is that tax is becoming much less of a grind. And if you're a tax manager, meaning you've gotten to the point in your career where you're allowed to actually talk with clients, then it becomes a fun thing because you're working with the clients, you're solving their problems, you're answering their questions, you're creating a ton of value because, you know, as a tax manager, you're tending to work with larger uh, small businesses, folks who really could use some planning. And I think this buttresses in a lot of ways what we are talking about here on this podcast, that technology can make our jobs a lot better and it won't necessarily automate them. It's going to automate the boring stuff, not the not the fun stuff, as long as you can move up into that role, right? If you're just churning out returns, putting numbers into boxes, no, that job is going to go away. But And with this, it means there's a changing skill set, right? You oh, just yeah. can't be a tax expert. You need to have some people skills. You need yeah. to learn how to do some presentations and storytelling. And you need to really f- be a little bit more well-rounded um, versus yeah. just tax. So you want to know who else is on the list? Behind tax managers. Oh, this is this is this is like a ranking. It's a ranking. Oh. Yeah. So, the, the, so yeah, right off the top ten. I'd love to hear this. All right. So number one is tax manager. Following that, we've got Salesforce developer, product designer, strategy manager. Uh, Salesforce developer is very specific. I know, right? Wow. The, everyone needs a Salesforce developer because every company's got Salesforce now, right? And you need an admin for it. Strategy manager, HR manager. Number six, audit manager, another accounting job and traditional, right? Tax and audit, the traditional bread and butter of accounting are still great jobs. I think that's because audit is becoming more automated, right? If you're a manager, it's a pretty nice thing not to have to do a lot of grunt work anymore. Uh, Then there's data scientist, business development manager, Java developer. And number 10, close to my heart, marketing manager, which is basically what I've been doing for the last couple of years uh, now that I went from public accounting over to the software side and a product marketing manager 11 right there. Well, that's exactly what I was doing. 
So doing product where do, marketing. Where does a uh, CPA or bookkeeper fill in? Is, is uh, it on C- the list CPA is not a job uh, title, but title. Okay, you yeah. can assume that the tax managers and audit managers are probably almost all CPAs, most likely. Yeah, oh, yeah, an accounting manager is 15. Uh, also, see a lot of CPAs in there. And dentists are 18, physician's assistant, 19. You mentioned healthcare, David. Product manager, 20. Compliance manager, 21. So these are jobs with a lot of career opportunity. And the point is that it's not really that it's not really important what you're doing. It's important that you have opportunity in your career because that's when you have high job satisfaction, when you feel like you can learn and move up and make a difference. And I think that's a lot of the titles of the people that were in the 40 under 40. So full circle, you pulled it back to that. We experienced this this, uh, this summer, David, like this debate as to – or not debate. It's, it's this, this constant – trope or what people are saying at conferences, which is, oh, compliance is being automated and we have to move to advisory. And I think this shows that it's not true. It's not that compliance is going away. It's that some of it is getting automated. And what do you do with the extra time you have is you are more advisory. So it's a fusion of compliance and advisory. That's where the real opportunity is. So being that- Yeah, you you actually provide advisory based on the compliance work that you- Exactly. Done. Yeah. You're adding value to that traditional compliance work. I got no more articles, Blake. Oh, well, I got I got a few more things. Let's see how we're doing oh, okay, on time. Oh, good, good. Um, we're, we're good. So there's one other small thing I wanted to share here, and I'll save the rest for next time. You know that I subscribe to the Deloitte Controllership Digest, as I have been living in sort of the world of the mid-market in the last few years. Yes. Uh, they did another one of their snap polls where they email out a polling question. The people who read the publication respond, and we can probably assume that most of them are in Accounting jobs and controller jobs. Because nobody would, nobody would be subscribed to this. Why if you would want. you? You it would be. I mean, you have to be. You have to hate yourself, I think, to do that, right? So, <laughs> so it'd be like if you were subscribed to this, David, you'd read it before bed. Um, but I read it, you know, with my coffee in the morning. So uh, this poll asked, the flash poll asked, as the final quarter of 2019 approaches, what is the top priority you and your company will be focusing on? And the answer according to 47% of the respondents is, quote, automation or system improvements. Almost half their top priority is automation or system improvements. And next on the list, only 15% is accounting standards implementation. So tech is just crushing it when it comes to top priorities over traditional stuff like lease accounting and revenue recognition, all that stuff. I want to see the, at the end of the quarter, how much do you actually spent working on the automation? Because I feel like this is one of those like, I'm really going to automate stuff next week. That's my top priority this quarter. And then it doesn't happen, right? I, I, think, like, I, I mean, I don't know. I think it's happening. I really do. I think there's a lot yeah. of investment going on right now. You can certainly see it with the valuations and investment in like these uh, companies we talk about every every week that are getting investment. So like they wouldn't be getting investment if they weren't gaining customers. I mean, in a ideal Which is, I think it's obvious that so many departments are not automated. Right. Right. And so there's just upside. There's, there's a so ton of upside. Half. There's at least half are just, you know, traditional. And I, I think this goes to what we were talking about uh, with before when you're talking about like the different accounting jobs that have been outsourced. Right. And that some of these departments, they're, they're being funded to do the automation and they're not doing it. And then two years later, let's just outsource the whole thing. Right. Just all. So you're right. Like you probably need to automate your systems and make internal improvements or your whole department's probably going to get just wiped out. 
So I'll read the other items on this survey so that the folks who are saying, hey, this doesn't okay. add up to 100%, don't get upset because I would. Oh, these damn accounts. I <laughs> so I said uh, automation, system improvements, that's 47%. Accounting standards implementation, 15%. Next, organization changes and talent acquisition, 14%. Interesting to see how that's you know fairly fairly low. It's third, right? Uh, well, cost reduction. Don't you need mm-hmm. the talent acquisition to – do some of the automation? I mean, maybe. I don't know. Maybe yeah. that we'll see. Um, cost reduction, 14%. Mergers and acquisitions or other transactions comes in last at 10%. Lots more to talk about next week. I'm going to save this good stuff, including the AICPA Economic Outlook Survey for the third quarter. We'll dig into that next week, hopefully. And an idea that the Federal Reserve should create its own cryptocurrency. Because we haven't talked about blockchain in a while. Um, but now blockchain's back because i think bitcoin's up a little bit right everybody's hot and heavy on that again but we got to get to the my payroll hr story which we are continuing our coverage of and david you have secured two of the reporters in albany new york who have been hot on this this story and have been breaking a lot of the news we've been talking about so i'm really excited to talk to them my payroll hr headquarters uh they one of them sat in court and actually have seen Michael Mann himself. Um, the other one, had, they both have talked to Michael Mann's lawyer on multiple occasions. So these guys are, these reporters are heavily involved All right. in this story. I'm Michael Williams with the Albany Times Union. And I'm Chelsea Diana with the Albany Business Review. Chelsea and Michael, welcome. Thank you for joining us on this uh, special interview um, regarding the my payroll HR fraud. Chelsea, do you want to start with you? Like, can you explain a little bit who you are and like what your role was in the my payroll HR case? Sure. So, like I said, I'm a reporter with the Albany Business Review. I've been covering the intersection of money and technology for the Business Review for about five years. Uh, We're part of American City Business Journals, which is a national network of business publications. We're in more than 40 cities across the country. And, um, you know, my role in this story is that we got a tip a few weeks ago from a restaurant owner saying that their direct deposits had been withdrawn. Um, I called their accountant to see what was going on. And at that time, there were rumors that it could be some kind of fraud, but it was all real speculation. At that time, yeah. And then, Michael, what you do and what your role is in the My Payroll HR case? Sure. So, I'm a business reporter with the Times Union. I've actually uh, only been here for about a month. So, I just kind of dived into the deep end with this story. Um, prior to this, I was a uh, court and crime reporter for the Orlando Sentinel down in Orlando. And, um, you know, I came into the story pretty much the same way that Chelsea did. We got a tip that, uh, you know, payroll deposits had been reversed. And, yeah, it sort of started from there. Start from there. Okay. And, and the reason I brought both of you on, because I think both of you have written multiple articles. Um, and, and I think we've used these on the previous uh, episodes. I think we've referenced a lot of your articles. So I was like, we should have you two on because you guys have probably done the most research and probably the most prepared to speak to a lot of this. So I'm hoping in the next uh, couple of minutes here, we kind of figure out how we went from four weeks ago, like you both said, employees' paychecks getting undeposited from their accounts to the latest news is like high school basketball players, right? Are having to yeah. find new schools, it's right? And, and, but it's all tied to my payroll HR. So I think it's uh, kind of interesting um, 
Blake, did you want to kind of give a quick recap of what we've talked about the previous episodes? Yeah. So for our listeners who are not familiar with the My Payroll HR fraud scandal, quick recap. Earlier this month, shortly after Labor Day, the week after Labor Day, My Payroll HR, a small payroll processor in New York State with about 4,000 customers, uh, suddenly shut down. Uh, it sent an email out to everybody uh, who was a client saying, we are no longer going to be able to process your payrolls. That alone was uh, worrisome. But what really started this whole mess was that employees who were getting paid that week saw their paychecks deposited into their account and then suddenly withdrawn and withdrawn twice in many, many cases. And this was due to a problem with Cache, the ACH payment processor that was partnered with My Payroll HR. Basically, what happened is somebody at My Payroll HR changed the account numbers in the batch file sent to Cache Financial Services, causing that settlement account where the payroll should have come out uh, to the employees to be underfunded, not funded at all. Cache advanced the payroll to the employees without realizing what was happening. And then when they realized that the employer money had not been transmitted to that account, tried to take it back, tried to do it twice because of an error causing huge problems for many of the employees in this case. Uh, bank accounts overdrawn by a large amounts, uh, people unable to pay rent, unable to buy medication. It became a national story uh, on NBC Nightly News and CBS Morning. And so we've been covering it for, for a while now. So the money, some, the money is, is in a bank controlled by my parallel HR, which is frozen. Um, Michael Mann has uh, been arrested and charged with a crime uh, we still don't have a photo of him. Michael Mann is the owner of My yeah, Parallel HR. Jesse, you and Michael probably have dug just as much as we have. Like, did he not even take a selfie? Like, I don't know. How is there no Please photos send of a him? photo if you have one. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what he looks like. Uh, we do know that he is working with the um, U.S. attorney. He has been charged with, I believe, the, tr the crime was bank fraud. Uh, and and so that's kind of like brings us up to date with um, uh, where we are with the podcast and, you know, following your coverage, Chelsea and Michael. Thank you so much for all these amazing articles helping us, you know, figure out what's going on for our, uh, our, our audience, many of whom are you know, CPAs who recommend payroll services or provide payroll services or bookkeepers who do the same thing. Um, so yeah, so so that's where we're at, um, David. You know, like what do we what do we want to get out of this interview? What's what's next? Yeah, I, I think one thing is just going back to the shutdown in the building. I, I think in our brains we're imagining it was a little like that movie Boiler Room, where it was just everybody vanished; they were gone. So Chelsea, Michael, did either of you actually go to the My Payroll offices? Like, what was that like? There? Yeah, I went to the offices um, a few days after it closed, and the signs, you know, saying where the offices are had been taken off the walls. Um, there were some paper taped to some of the windows looking in. Um, from my understanding, you know, the employees kind of came in for the day like normal and were called into a meeting and they were all let go and told to go home. Yeah. And I'm um, pretty much the same for me. I went there, the news broke Friday, September 6th. And I went there later that afternoon. And, um, you know, pretty much like Chelsea said, uh, sign had been removed from the wall. Everything was dark inside. It looked like, uh, they had sort of started the process of moving out of their offices. I spoke with this one woman who worked for an insurance agency that shared the hallway with my payroll HR. And she said that she basically saw people moving stuff out of the office. Um, she said that one employee came to her insurance office and inquired about open positions and basically that 
all the employees at my payroll HR were sort of blindsided by this. Um, I know that you all had referenced an email sent to uh, my payroll HR employees on previous episodes that basically told them to uh, pick up their belongings in a parking lot adjacent to a liquor store to sort of avoid any kind of attention um, from the fact that the company shut down. Have either of you been able to speak to employees that have maybe more insight into what went down inside of my payroll HR? I've spoken with a few employees. They they all seem very shocked and had no idea that, that this was going on. Yeah, same for me. Um, you know, it seems like it seems like a lot of these employees had sort of kind of been getting a little bit of a uh, little bit of flack and a little bit of hate from everybody who's been uh, affected by this. Um, j- just to be clear, there's no indication that the individual employees of my payroll HR had any idea that any of this was happening. Um, basically, from from the conversations that I've had with a couple of employees, they walked into work one day not knowing that they were going to walk out and not have a job. And their paychecks were pulled back as well, and you know they don't have a boss to to cover their paycheck. Oh wow, or, I didn't realize that they were affected too. Yeah, they were. So and and now they don't have a job. So it's it's pretty sad. Where we left things, at least where the the you know, we we've been following the money trail through your reporting and it, it seems that there is a frozen account at Pioneer Bank, which was the bank that was providing services, uh, banking services to my payroll HR. Uh, do either of you have any more insight into you know where all this uh, money went? It was something like thirty-five million dollars total for this payroll. Twenty-six, I believe, was uh, 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 net paychecks to employees uh, and funded by employer accounts, and then another, I think, nine was payroll taxes that were supposed to be remitted to the IRS. Where, where, where is the money right now? And, and what do you do? You think that uh, you know it's it's going to be recovered? Uh, you know, Is Cache going to get their money back, um, the, the ACH processor that essentially floated the payroll? I don't think that's clear at this point. Um, the complaint said that the money had been transferred to Pioneer's bank account and it had been frozen. Um, usually in these investigations, the money within bank accounts are frozen for quite a while, especially as the person whose name was on the bank account is out on bail. So I don't think it's really clear at this point. Michael Mann, so he was the CEO of My Payroll HR. He, he hired a lawyer, and I think both of you spoke to his lawyer. And then since that episode, he's been arrested, and he's confessed to $70 million in fraud. And this is taking place over nine years. Like, what is this web? Look yeah, like. yeah. Help us untangle this because we're hearing about all sorts of uh, uh, shell companies. There's this school that he was funding down in Florida. Um, you know, like what? Maybe you can, even though we don't know what Michael Mann looks like, maybe you can give us an idea of who he was and and what was this whole uh, like web of lies he was weaving. Who wants to go first? <laughs> <laughs> so, as far as the seventy million dollar number, we know at least where. 36 million of that 70 million has come from. You know, we know um, Pioneer Bank, Chemung Canal Trust Co., and Berkshire Bank have all filed disclosures saying that they had money impacted as part of a fraud. So these are banks that were lending money to Michael Mann and his various uh, companies. They, none of them mention Mann by, by name or my payroll by name in the disclosures, but they have been sent to reporters in response to questions. 
you know, Michael Mann appeared in federal court this Monday. Uh, I was actually in the courtroom and, and saw him there. Um, you know, oh, so you have actually seen him? Oh, oh. I have. He, yeah. he actually does exist. He is a real person. He's not an international <laughs> fugitive. Um, All right. No, uh, he looks pretty. He looks pretty reserved, pretty, uh, pretty quiet. Um, you know, I've been in the courtroom, you know, several times for several different cases, and I mean, he didn't really seem, you know, anything that out of the ordinary. Um, you know, spoke very briefly, just sort of greeting the judge, answering, you know, short procedural questions. Uh, all said and done, the hearing was only about like thirty minutes long. So, so I understand he confessed. What did he confess to exactly? So what he confessed to, according to the FBI complaint, was basically um, he said that he was going through some business and financial pressures. So around 2010, uh, he started um, basically what, what Bank of America is saying is that Bank of America froze Michael Mann's account because they found that he had been kiting checks. So basically he was writing checks to one account. Um, so say he was writing a check to a Pioneer Bank account, but he deposited that check in the Bank of America bank account. And then he basically reversed that process by writing a second check from the Bank of America bank account to the Pioneer bank account. So basically like artificially um, sort of inflating uh, his, his, his funds, according to the FBI complaint. So Bank of America uh, finds out about this somehow, freezes his account at that bank. Pioneer also finds out about it, freezes uh, man's account at their bank. And that's sort of, uh, you know, the domino that got this entire situation rolling were the, the frozen funds in the account. But, but he's been doing this kiting for a, a, almost a decade and using these, in, these inflated numbers to acquire other businesses and get other loans. Can you describe for us, Chelsea, do you know what are the different types of businesses that, that he's associated with at this point that we're aware of? Sure. I, there's a big variety. A lot of the way that I kind of weaved, figured out the web of businesses that he's in is just looking what other companies are were incorporated under ValueWise, which was the parent company of my payroll HR. And under ValueWise, this parent company, which says it's a consulting company, there was a physical therapy clinic practice um, in the Midwest. There were several staffing agencies. There was a staffing agency called Higher Flux out of North Carolina that that set up RNs with, with jobs at nursing homes and things like that. Um, and there's just kind of all of these different businesses. A lot of them are staffing related. A lot of them are not. A lot of them are healthcare related. A lot of them are not. And it was just kind of fascinating to see how many different types of companies he he had his hand in. And, and do we know if these are legitimate businesses or just fronts or shells? Like any insight into into that? Yeah, I mean, so of the ones that I have verified, some are definitely legitimate businesses. You know, I, I always recommend if you know if you're looking to work with a business and you go to their webpage, if they ha- list who their CEO is with a picture of who it is, you know, if they, if they have faces of CEOs and things like that, then it's pretty likely a legitimate business. If um, they've been quoted in other news stories, other media outlets, it's likely a legitimate business. Um, So for a lot of those businesses, I found those details, but some of them, I, I couldn't. And that doesn't mean that they weren't legitimate. It just means that they have less of an online footprint. What's the deal with this? School is it a school in Florida that Michael Mann was funding? Yeah, so it was um, an elite basketball academy, 
he wasn't funding the school. He was just funding the basketball portion of it. So essentially, um, if you want to play D1 college ball for like Georgia or any of the big D1 schools, um, a lot of kids go to these prep schools. Uh, And in this case, there were two schools created, two of these academies created under Michael Mann's name. One was in Georgia, outside of Atlanta, in 2017. And another was created, it was essentially moved to North Carolina over the summer. And the schools were connected with, with religious schools. And so what I learned is that he essentially paid a coach to, a former college coach, to teach these, these guys how to, how to be a better recruit and how to get on a D1 basketball team along with paying for the tuition to the private school. Wow. So that that's all shut down now? Like, are they, what are these kids going to do? Or what what yeah, happened? Yeah, um, I saw a story from, from a paper in South Carolina uh, where one of the recruits lived. And, you know, the kid had just planned on going to the school this fall. And after a few days, he was heading back to his old high school. Wow. So lot, lots of people affected, not just the employees of, uh, you know, of the companies using MyParallelHR, but employees of these other businesses uh, and of this uh, school that um, Michael Mann was helping to uh, fund. Yeah. Do we know Michael Mann's background? Like, like does he have, because uh, he's a little bit in temp agencies, a little bit into payroll, a little yeah. bit into basketball camps. or in the, I, I saw he's involved in some big national basketball tournament possibly as well. And then yeah. he's got some physical therapy business, I think you said. Like, like, what's his background? Or is he just like an investor? Like, do we, like, what do we know about him? He, he worked in healthcare consulting for a while, which is where the healthcare connection comes in. Okay. Um, and then I know that he, he played basketball himself in college. I don't know where. So that may be where the basketball connection comes in. So, Michael, you were in court when Michael Mann um, you know, was charged with this crime, with the bank fraud crime. You've seen him. What is next in this story? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, so... You know, it's hard. It's hard to say where the where the criminal proceedings are going to go. Although the fact that he basically, you know, according to the FBI complaint, admitted to you know committing a seventy million dollar fraud um, is somewhat indicative of what might happen. Um, but really, um, you know, it's 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 hard to tell. Um, and really, really, the the big question right now is which businesses of his were legit and which were basically shell companies for this alleged fraud that he uh, that he admitted to in this complaint. And also, who knew about this uh, before it was revealed? You know, he's had several, uh, you know, business partners. So right now, it's just, it's a bit unclear which of his companies were legit and which weren't, and who, who knew about this, uh, you know, in the 10 years that, according to the FBI complaint, he says that he was perpetrating this fraud. And think- he is, oh. sorry, go ahead, Chelsea. I think there's one really important line from the complaint that just says a lot about what's happening here. Um, and it's that man said he used almost all of the 70 million to sustain certain businesses and purchase and start new ones. Which means that, you know, he was using this money on actual businesses. It just wasn't the businesses that he was saying it was for, essentially. And that brings us to the question of why change this ACH number in the first place? Why 
what, what, what was the motivation for that? David and I have speculated that maybe diverting the money from the settlement account at Cachet to Pioneer Bank was a mistake, that perhaps he was doing a search and replace on some other account numbers. Of, you know, maybe, maybe there was fraud involved in the payroll with some of these shell businesses or employees, and he didn't mean to do that because it makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's either he made a mistake – Right, and he accidentally moved the entire payroll, and then obviously that raised red flags. Or it was he just got in his over in his head, and it was like the opportunity was there, and he finally just pulled the trigger. Total desperation move or something. Um, well, thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today. <laughs> really appreciate your insights and your coverage, and it's it's been a, a super interesting to you know, observe all of this happening. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a real cautionary tale for accountants and bookkeepers who rely on payroll services uh, for their clients, because, you know, most, most accounting firms uh, outsource this now. So it's a, it's a lesson in, you know, know who you are working with. And like you said, um, Chelsea, if you can't find the owner of the business on the website, maybe that's a sign. So if you had to take a guess, like, are we going to be having you back on nine months from now? 18 months from now, four years from now, like when, when is there going to be closure to this to where, you know, there's a sentencing taking place and that type of the investigation stop? You know, it's really hard to say. I guess that sort of depends on what Michael Mann uh, gives to the FBI or to the U.S. Attorney's Office, um, you know, as part of as part of, you know, a potential deal that he might make with them. Um, you know, it really it really sort of depends on what his level of cooperation is with uh, with the investigation, but this could be a months, if not years, long process uh, to see the conclusion of the criminal case, at least. Um, and that's not even to say, you know, the conclusion of all the civil cases, uh, the lawsuits that have been filed against my peer HR, against Michael Mann himself, against Cache Financial Services. Um, so yes, we're going to be reporting this story for 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 months, if not if not longer. Um, it's definitely going to be a really long process. And we don't know how he's going to plead yet either. I think a lot of it depends on if he pleads guilty or not guilty. Right. Well, given that he already confessed, it would be a right. little bit late to you would plead think. not guilty. But yeah, you, you never know. know. <laughs> uh, well, Chelsea, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Chelsea, if people want to follow what you, you are writing uh, and covering online, where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, the best place is probably our website, uh, bizjournals.com slash Albany. Um, that's B-I-Z, journals with an S. And Michael, how about you? Uh, for me, it would be timesunion.com, and I would definitely recommend anybody in the uh, Albany area to subscribe to your local newspaper if you haven't already. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you both, and uh, have a great weekend. Thanks right, so much. Thank you both for having us.